I'll tell you about the Dyslexia Center of Utah. Get your foursome together and sign up today for the Dyslexia Center of Utah Charity Golf Tournament. Join the fun May 13th at Cedar Hills Golf Course. 100% of the proceeds go to the Dyslexia Center Scholarship Fund. Space is limited. Find out more at dyslexiacenterofutah.org. DyslexiaCenterOfUtah.org. All right, talking about the Jazz, a new month is behind us. The penultimate month of the season. Yeah, we're getting there. Excited to get there. Jazz have 16 games this month. What are they going, my friends? What do you think they're going to be? Expect them to win every time out? I do. Will they win every time out? No. But I believe in this team. I think it's legitimate. I think at this point here, they have proven legitimacy. They have earned the right to be number one. Now, to some extent, absolutely health is factored in. And we have to assume when we get to the playoffs that these teams will be healthy. I buy all that. So that doesn't make them the overwhelming favorite. you got the Lakers sitting over there with LeBron and Anthony Davis proven. You go that way. Tony, to be honest and real based on how they've been playing the past 12 games, I will say 11-5. and five. But if Bogey gets going, it will be easily 13-3. and three. That's an interesting concept when you think about that with Bogdanovich because he hasn't been going. So you talk about you know these teams that made trades, and I agree with Locke. Denver looks really good. And Aaron Gordon was what they needed. He's not a superstar by any stretch. And I agree when we had Locke on here last hour. He's talking about how if Gordon gets past the fact, okay, you're the fourth pick of the draft, whatever it was, you're not going to be the superstar. I don't think he's going to be a superstar. I agree on that. But he can be a vital piece on a really good team. Then you have Mike Smith. We had him on. Uh, earlier in the week, and he was saying that, you know, he thinks uh, Aaron Gordon, I'm trying to recall it accurately, is a nice piece, but he's looking at Porter, Porter Jr. to take off. Porter Jr. takes off, then they can be good. You know, he had the issues in college, sat out, I think, his first year, and so what would be this his second year since he's been in the league in terms of playing? and maybe he's a little bit better piece. If he gets it going, Denver's going to be a tough out either way. Uh, I totally agree on that. They've underachieved in the regular season, and they're starting to get it going now. And once you get to the postseason, uh, what you did in the regular season, if you can overcome it, then it doesn't matter. So the Jazz, the point I'm making is the Jazz didn't have a big pickup uh, close or near or at the trade deadline. But – if Bogdanovich can play more consistently than the way he did last season, then that's sort of a pickup because you haven't been getting the production that you've been getting from him in the past, right? So you follow that train. Does that make sense, Yach? Do you get what I'm trying to say here? Yeah, I follow you. Yeah, so if he can increase his game, then that's sort of like getting not a new player, but you're getting production that you didn't have. And that's essentially what Aaron Gordon is providing the Nuggets. They're getting production that they didn't have. Now, it is coming from a new player, so it's a little more obvious and easily identifiable. Uh, well, so, 
just Go to ahead. kind of talk about what you're talking about with with Bogey in particular, you, you realize how long ago it was that we've seen Bogey playing at like the quote unquote peak of his powers. It's a year ago. We have not seen him since before the season was disrupted yeah. last March. Yeah, and he, he was out for all of the bubble. He's been struggling to come back this year. He's had his moments, obviously, but he's not right. where he was at previously. And that's no. and if you can get that back, yes, you're right. That's a, that's an instant upgrade. Yeah. And is it going to come? Uh, I don't know. I can't say for sure uh, because I've been looking. I see signs. We saw it uh, the other night with uh, Mitchell out. Yep. He comes out. Man, he hits the threes right off the bat. Gives them exactly what they needed to be competitive early. Uh, and it was 5 of 12 from three. I pretty much take that just about every game from him going forward. Uh, five threes. Obviously, that's a huge addition. So that'll be something, Tony, that I agree with what you're saying there, that that is something to watch. If Bogey gets going, the Jazz can be easily 13-3. and three. Eric says, looking at all the games, I'm expecting 12-4. and four. Depends on LeBron and AD. Jazz have a couple of games against the Lakers. Right. Two weeks from tomorrow is the first of a two-game series. So two weeks from tomorrow on the 17th, they play in Los Angeles and then they're off the Sunday, and then they stay right there and play the Lakers again on the Monday. They play every Monday in February, or February, every Monday in April. And that's the second. My guess is those two guys are not back. They've got to be closer to getting back. The Anthony Davis thing, uh, I went uh, on the air right off the bat. I know somebody who's in, to, in touch with Laker people. And when he went down, he said, uh, they're going to downplay it a little bit, but this is serious. It's going to be a long-term in terms of this season injury. And so far, yeah, it is. Because it's been a while now. You know, he was going to be out two weeks before the All-Star break, and then they would look at it. And, uh, all right, we're, we're getting to be a month past the All-Star break now. And he's still not playing. That's what Mike Smith was saying, too, earlier in the week. Keep an eye on that because he has an injury history. And last year he was healthy in the playoffs. Well, he had three months off before the playoffs. Exactly. And so he had plenty of time to get his body where it needed to be. It's unfortunate for him, but he's had injury issues. And the Lakers come back down to earth big time if he's not playing because I don't think LeBron can do it. Smith was talking about – in terms of winning it all, this was the weakest team that LeBron had. Yeah, he says the supporting cast was yeah. the, the worst he's ever played with. And right. That's kind of significant coming from him considering some of the supporting cast we've seen LeBron carry to different heights. Yeah, and he took that one team that got swept, I think it was by San Antonio in the finals yeah, way cl- back that when. That Cleveland team. It was like 2008, yep. somewhere in there. Mo, Mo Williams was yeah. their second best player. Okay, and they played in a watered-down Eastern Conference. It's amazing that the Western Conference has been the better of the two conferences now for well over a decade, but that's clear. It is. Uh, so he was able to get through there, and then they got swept, but they didn't win it. In terms of winning it, Mike was talking, Mike Smith, jazz broadcaster, longtime Clipper broadcaster, was talking about that was the weakest team he had to win it, and a lot of it was dependent upon Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis had three months off. Not going to have three. Well, actually, he will have. He could have three months off, I guess. It's just yeah. that nobody was playing during that time, as opposed to we're playing now. So 
that's something to to take a look at and watch as far as that goes. A lot of middle of the road, 13 and three. Gwen, 13 and three, with the fist sign. She's added Rob, 14 and two. Man, they go 14 and two. It's funny because how about this? Do you buy this? The more they win, the more pressure it builds in the postseason. Oh, absolutely. Because if they go 14 and two, man, what's that put them? That's freaking nearly an 800% winning percentage. And David Locke joins us last hour talking about Jazz right now. Statistically, one of the 12 best regular seasons. I'd have to see what those other teams were and where their finish was in the postseason. So uh, I'm not suggesting that the Jazz should throw games to take the pressure off. Pressure is whatever you make of it and how you respond to it. Uh, Some guys respond to it better than others. Other guys, uh, I mean, they want it. And if the Jazz continue to roll, and they've won seven in a row right now, should go to 9-0. and We come back here Monday morning, should be 9-0, and the winning streak. Stretches to nine. You have in multiple double-digit win seasons in a 72-game season. That's pretty doggone impressive. Uh, so with that in mind, that amps up what the postseason is going to be. But that's fine. That's good. Fine. See what you got. And the more people that doubt you, the more people you could say, ha-ha, if you do it all, win it all. I mean, if you don't, well, then they're going to say, see, I told you. There's somewhat of a no-win situation, too. If it's either win the title or you choked, and that's hard to get there. But it's where they're going. That's where they're definitely going. As I look at the schedule... We'll just run through it real quick. We got Ken Pomeroy coming up. Talk about the Final Four next. You got I, these two. I expect them to win. So I get. So I'll go through the wins. Chicago and Orlando. Yes. Sacramento. Yes. Washington. OKC. Yes. So what I got five. Indiana. Yes. Uh, Houston at Houston on the twenty-first. Yes. So that's seven. Minnesota. They got a two-gamer, same thing, after the Lakers the following week. They got the two-gamer with Minnesota, although they're both not in the same location. It's a home-and-home. Home. I expect them to win both of those. So that's nine. And then another game at Sacramento, that's ten. So minimum, uh, what I said, 16 games. So minimum ten and six. Can we all agree on that? The questionable games, maybe the 50-50 at Dallas, at Phoenix, Portland at home, am I okay with Portland at home? I think they should win that, but Portland at home, man, when you're facing Lillard. I was going to say. And, and McCollum and those guys can go for 75 between them. The firepower, man. And we don't really blink an eye, man. If they're on, I mean, if Lillard's on, he's as dynamic as anybody in the league. I think we would all agree on that, right? Uh, the Lakers, well, if, if Davis and, and LeBron are not playing – then I got two wins there, but I don't know that situation. And then two ball games at Phoenix. Phoenix uh, on Wednesday, this coming on the 7th, ESPN game. And then the last day of the month, 
So four weeks from today, they close out the month on April 30th with a ball game at Phoenix. Phoenix is interesting to me, man. They're an interesting case study. Seems like everything they did for so many years was wrong. You realize how many top five, top ten draft picks they've whiffed on? Josh Davis, Alex Lynn, Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender. These are all top ten picks. And funny, like the Jazz, obviously the Cantor pick was not a good pick. Right? Just not, They get Burks later on in the draft. Uh, and they haven't had that many top ten picks. Hayward was a good pick. Uh, but then they score on Mitchell and Gobert. They were not top ten. Obviously, they should be top ten picks, but they weren't. And so it's sort of the same thing with the Jazz, or the Suns, uh, only they've whiffed on so many of them, man. They should have been much better earlier. Uh, here, they get the number one pick with Aiton. Did they whiff on Aiton because Doncic was sitting there at three? I don't think they whiffed, but obviously they should have taken Doncic. There's no question about it, man. It's a thousand times better. At least they're getting something. Marvin Bagley for Sacramento seems to be hurt all the time. And they don't think that he's uh, putting up the production when he's healthy. Uh, so Sacramento, big-time whiff on that one. Aiton is contributing. He's not asked to do a whole lot now. Booker, Booker was not a, I think the, he was like 13, 14. I think the Jazz went uh, 13, and they took Lyles, and then the Suns took Booker, and they were going to take whoever the Jazz didn't take. Thankfully for them, the Jazz took the lesser of the two. Lyles hasn't done a whole lot. I think he's sitting on a bench in San Antonio. And then the Jazz, uh, the late, uh, excuse me, the Suns swoop up Booker. Booker's a player. And then they've got some nice pieces around him. Mikhail Bridges was a decent draft pick. And obviously the trade with Chris Paul, and away you go. So my guess there on paper, I would think that uh, I would give that a split with the Suns. Both of those games in Phoenix. Suns win both of those games and do what they're probably capable of doing the rest of the way, man. Maybe you got to consider the Suns. I think we'll know more about Phoenix uh, at, at the end of the month. So I'd go split there. So right there, I'm up to uh, basically 12 wins. And if I give them Portland, that's uh, – 13. It's hard to find losses in this 16-game schedule in this month. Dallas, I think at Dallas, they're one of these teams that uh, any given game is dangerous. Porzingis, decent player. Is he available? Will he play? Because he's sort of in and out of the lineup. Doncic can count on him. He's a foundation piece. I think he's first team All-NBA. There's very few players in the league I would take above him particularly when I factor in he's like 21, 22 years of age. Can he get better? Well, as I watch him, it's hard to imagine that he can get better. But if I look at his age, I'm thinking, yeah, there's no way he doesn't get better. So that'll be a fun game on Monday. That's a 5 o'clock game on our time, which I thought, I guess this year, usually the, uh, the NBA gets out of the way of the college basketball, but not this year. Because that's uh, finals night, yeah, right? Yeah, I think with the tighter schedule, they, can't, they, they just can't, can't do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the good thing is that the college game, I, don't, I haven't seen the time. Normally it starts about 7 o'clock our time, doesn't it? Uh, as far as that yes. goes, yeah. So the good thing about the Dallas game, and maybe this, maybe so, maybe they moved it up an hour because that's uh, six o'clock Central Time, be five o'clock our time. That's like an East Coast game in the Central Time Zone, and maybe they did that because of the NCAA final. So that's cool. I won't have that big of an interruption. And speaking of the college final, we got Ken Pomeroy coming up next. Give us his numbers take on what's going to happen in the Final Four. Stay with us. Ninety-seven five twelve eighty the zone. The Big Show Big show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sam Amick of The Athletic. Not to take the spotlight off the Jazz, but I think they're sharing that spotlight with the Nuggets. Those two organizations have been on somewhat similar tracks. You know, they have incredibly unique talents as the centerpiece of what they do at the center spot with Gobert and Jokic. They've got wings, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, that are wildly talented, but kind of face some skepticism about those playoff moments when that little hesitation when it matters most could be the difference between a win and a loss. And Denver and Utah have kind of had similar stories there, but the Jazz to come out of what happened last year and seemingly be stronger and better as a team is really impressive stuff. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7 presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back in. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful Friday morning. Good Friday for those who are inclined to think about that stuff. And I'm one of those guys. Easter is Sunday. Spring break for a lot of people. Weather's supposed to be good. Life is looking up, and let me tell you, it's looking up even more. Now that we got Ken Pomeroy, he is college basketball analytics expert and proprietor of KenPalm.com. Kenny P., how are you? Ah, PK, it's great to be on. What an intro, man. (laughs) You're you're the king. Uh, King of intros. King of all intros. There you go. So we got the final four coming up excited particularly excited for the Bruins and the Zags you know obviously they have a a local connection in that they're in the conference of the Utes and the Cougars and can Zaga go can Gonzaga go uh what are they 30 and zip right now can they go 32 and zero what an accomplishment that would be what is your take on that game individually well, I think the Zags certainly are, are living right in order to pull an 11 seed in the Final Four. That obviously helps. Um, that said, you know, UCLA is obviously playing better than an 11 seed in order to get to this point. But still, uh, the Zags, at last I checked, are 14.5-point favorite, which, uh, as far as I know, is, is unheard of in the Final Four. Um, so, uh, so it should be a... You know, a fairly lopsided game. I do think, obviously, Mick Cronin has the he has the power. It's the power to make the game particularly ugly. Obviously, we're just coming off a game where uh, you know they played a, a Final Four or an Elite Eight game that had a grand total of a uh, hundred points um, against Michigan. So, uh, so the game that's the, probably the one path to keeping it close for UCLA is just mucking it up, keeping the game close, slowing down the game. You know, that game against Michigan had 59 possessions, which uh, was one of the slowest games in, in the tournament this year. And uh, and that's probably going to be critical. Again, obviously much more difficult to do against Gonzaga with Jalen Suggs running the show. I mean, that's the, the thing. You can look at a Gonzaga stat sheet and you can kind of see, you can kind of envision like little ways to, to keep the game close and make it interesting. Gonzaga's not a team that relies on the three-point shot. If you can force them to take more threes, you know, maybe you'll you'll have a chance. But 
nobody's been able to crack the code on that. And certainly it wasn't USC who, uh, you know, has more length up front than anybody. And, and they could not find a way to keep Gonzaga out of the paint, keep Jalen Suggs out of the paint, who you know, was just a magician with the basketball. So, so I guess all that's to say that I'm glad this game is first. It's uh, kind of the appetizer. I'm not looking forward to, uh, I guess it is, uh, is it first? Is it, is it the first No, it's game? second. It is second. the second game. So, yeah. Well, make some plans for your Saturday evening, alternative plans, because the second half may not be terribly interesting. <laughs> oh, so you're expecting that this line is going to hold true then, meaning that uh, Gonzaga wins going away? Well, I think they either win going away or if somehow it is close, it's going to be just uh, not entertaining basketball. It's, you know, it's going to be USC milking some – or UCLA milking some shot clock and uh, – you know, keeping the game sort of artificially close, but not close in a way where you're like, ooh, this, this game could go either way. Like, you know, it's Gonzaga winning by, by eight or by six on some late free throws or something, but um, not, uh, you know, not ever trailing by any sort of significant amount. All right. I'm swallowing some food here right now. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> you should have given me the signal. I could have extended that answer a little bit, I guess. I'm good. I'm good to go now. Uh, with that in mind, you know, you talk about Gonzaga not being reliant upon the three. Well, we go back a couple of weeks to BYU building a nice lead against Gonzaga in the first half down there at the West Coast final, and they hit threes. How about the Bruins hitting threes? Do you think that if they should, A, should they just try that, try to steal what BYU did, now caught up to the Cougars in the second half, and obviously they did not win the game, and Gonzaga won by a fairly comfortable margin. So do you think the Bruins should do that, and are they capable of doing that? Yeah, the Bruins, the Bruins should do that. They should do what BYU did, except for two halves. Uh, I don't, what was BYU in the first half of that game? They were like 8 of 11 or something from three. It was something yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, I mean, that's, you know, that's the way that Gonzaga will fall if they fall. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be to outstanding shooting and you know, more likely outstanding outside shooting. Um, uh, UCLA is not really, they don't, they don't have the profile to do that. They're not a, a great outside shooting team. Uh, they, uh, of the three remaining teams are the team that easily takes the fewest three point shots. They're ranked 300th in terms of the percentage of shots that they take from three point range in all of college basketball. Um, they do have a few guys that can shoot it. I mean, you know, you look at the, the stat sheet, Jaime Hawkes is a 39% shooter. Jules Bernard is a 39% shooter. Um, but both of those guys have only taken about three shots per game this year. So they're just not prolific. Johnny Juzang is the most prolific shooter. He's taken about five a game, but, you know, he's only made 35%. So the issue is, you know, they aren't a prolific outside shooting team. They don't have a lot of guys that uh, take a lot of shots. But I do agree with you, like – if, if there is going to be an upset of Gonzaga, it's going to be uh, through that path. We saw BYU, you know, do it and really have Gonzaga on the ropes. I mean, they, I don't think Gonzaga has been in a situation this year uh, like they were against BYU at the half. So, um, so that will be the path, but uh, that path probably will have to occur in the title game and not in the semifinal game. Ken Pomeroy of KenPom.com joining us. Gonzaga pulls this off, which I think they will. I don't think it's a big stretch. Uh, to assume that. I don't know that they will, but I think they will. Uh, what do you believe as far as going down as one of the all-time teams? 
Yeah, I mean, you have to put them on that list. The only, you know, there might be, uh, you know, some some naysayers, you know, that mentioned that the season was a little bit shorter this year. I mean, they're going to end up playing uh, something like, you know, five or six year games than the normal team would have. Um, that seems like kind of a lame excuse. Uh, um, they obviously tested themselves pretty severely in non-conference play this year. So, you know, if they did have those mythical five or six extra games, you know, four or five of them probably would have been against inferior competition anyway. So I think they still would have pulled it off. But just in terms of, I mean, it's not, there's no real fluke here, just in terms of what they're doing. I mean, what we've seen in the NCAA tournament is, uh, is who Gonzaga is. They just have not really been challenged. I mean, not only undefeated, but they really haven't been challenged in the last minute or two of a ball game. You know, people will maybe, you know, locally talk about that BYU game and they'll say, hey, wow, that was really a test, you know. But even that, like, that was close for like 38 minutes, but it wasn't really even a test in the last minute. Like, the game was over by that point, um, which is pretty phenomenal given how Gonzaga um, started that game. So uh, I would certainly put them in that, in that category of the all-time greats. Uh, obviously, in the modern era, you know, nobody's been able to pull off that, that undefeated run. And I think for, for good reason, you know, it's not, it's not 1976. You're not playing a 27 game schedule. The NCAA tournament is structured completely differently than it was then, you know, where back then it was, uh, you know, only the conference champs uh, getting in and obviously uh, select at large teams picked on a regional basis. Um, now you have just a much stronger field and a much, a much more difficult task to win it all. And, I think the, the cherry on the top would be if they got to play Baylor in the final game because for most of the season, people have felt like, you know, Baylor is really one of their, not necessarily one of the best teams of all time. It's only one of the best teams of the last 20 years and just kind of picked the wrong wrong year to have to win a national title because obviously you have Gonzaga, who is you know, one of the best teams of all time that you have to get past. Ken Palm joining us. Yeah, they were going to play in December, if I remember, but uh, who was it? Gonzaga had some COVID issues. So the game did not get played, speaking of Gonzaga and Baylor. So I'm assuming that Baylor wins this ball game against Houston. I haven't watched a lot of Houston. I've seen Baylor play a number of times. Big 12 is a great conference as far as basketball goes. Uh, what do you make of that first game? Yeah, it's actually kind of, kind of an interesting story because Gonzaga and, and Baylor were obviously going to play, as you mentioned. Gonzaga and Houston were also going to play. Uh, here in Salt Lake City at some point. Um, yeah. uh, I believe in like mid-January or something like that. But uh, uh, Houston ended up uh, thinking differently about that game, and, and that didn't happen. Um, but that game, uh, the first game, will be a lot of fun. Make an appointment to watch that, I think. Um, if you're if you're a fan of offensive rebounding, it's kind of interesting. Roy Williams obviously announcing his retirement, and people uh, – talking about his career yesterday as the head coach in North Carolina and, and prior to that, Kansas. Uh, the one thing that Roy Williams' teams did, more than anything, people talk about how they play up-tempo, but his teams crashed the glass. And Baylor and Houston will be paying an homage to Roy Williams in that first game because uh, you got two of the top ten teams in the country in terms of offensive rebounding. Um, but, you know, Like you said, Baylor, I think, the, the clear favorite. But Houston is a fun team just because they – concede nothing you know they do not concede rebounds uh, defensively they'll concede every pass they'll challenge every shot they're not a super talented team but just their attitude is so much fun they're really tough and uh and they've kind of gone under the radar 
the problem is that Baylor has a very similar approach. They're just better at everything. They're, you know, more like a Big 12 version of, of Houston where they're just, you know, they have better athletes. They're bigger, longer, stronger. And uh, and they're also a the best three-point shooting team in the country, which Houston will shoot the three a lot, but they're just not a great three-point shooting team. And they kind of make up for it by getting offensive rebounds. Baylor um, won't shoot three quite as much as Houston, but they will make those threes to the tune of 41% this year. So, um, so that's really what, what drives Baylor's offense, but it's not just that, you know, they're, they can get, you know, they have a great front line and they get a bunch of offensive rebounds and uh, um, they're kind of a machine as well, especially when the defense gets firing, which uh, um, it has done lately here in the NCAA tournament. Ken Palm joining us. So go ahead under the assumption then on Monday night, it's Baylor and Gonzaga. What do you got there? Well, you have one of the best national title games that we've ever seen uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what those two have accomplished during the season. I mean, you think about it, it's really, you know, one versus two in most people's minds. And, you know, you go back through the history of the NCAA tournament. And I think people, you know, when the brackets always revealed, especially, you know, in the last uh, 15 years or so, when they really seeded the top two teams, you know, you think, oh, wow, if this is one versus two, that's going to be a great game. And, of course, rarely, rarely happens. But, um um, so it, uh, that would be what was, I think the first thing that's noteworthy um, about this matchup. You know, the other thing is that, uh, again, Baylor's defense would really have to rise to the occasion here. I mean, I think all year long people have thought that it it could. They had, you know, a COVID pause in February and came back from that, and their defense all of a sudden was nowhere near what it used to be, and it's still probably not where it used to be. But um, if they can get back to that peak form, I mean, they have – you know, five guys that can basically, you know, switch everything defensively. And that, again, is is crucial to contain Jalen Suggs, who, like I said, is a pretty much a magician with the basketball and a magician in terms of just getting into the paint and, and breaking down a defense. Um, you know, if you can contain him, then things get a lot easier defensively. But there hasn't been a team this year that has really figured that out. And Gonzaga has scored – at least a point per possession in every single game they played this year. And as I've been tracking this in the last 20 years, there's only one other team that has accomplished that. Uh, and that oddly, interesting enough, was a North Carolina team in 2009. So, um, so that's kind of the track record for Gonzaga's offense. It's uh, literally unstoppable, at least to this point. Speak of Suggs, you've brought him up multiple times. I made a statement last week that I feel Suggs will go down – as to date when he gets there and give him a year or two to get his feet under him, but he ends up being the best Gonzaga NBA player that we've seen to date. I think that would put Sabonis in that category right now, and they've had a number of guys, necessarily not not been stars, but there have been a number of guys who've played in the league for a good long while, Kelly Olenek-type players. Do you buy my theory that Suggs and him be the best uh, NBA pro to come out of Gonzaga? I do. I do buy that. I mean, I think he'll certainly be the, the highest draft pick. I mean, the guy is just like, you know, when you think of one and done, you don't really think of guys like Jalen Suggs. If you were just watching Jalen Suggs and you didn't know anything about him, you know, you wouldn't think he was a freshman. Um, you know, he's just, he's so skilled and um, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. I will say the one thing, like, when we talk about, like, kind of pass for, for Gonzaga to get upset is Suggs is like 
surprisingly foul prone for for point guard. You know, most of your point guards you don't think of uh, as getting into like regular foul trouble or whatever. And not that he gets into regular foul trouble, but again, for a guard, he does get into foul trouble occasionally. I think that happened, maybe even happened in the first half of the BYU game. Um, so uh, that's something to watch out for. He picks up a couple early fouls, maybe you can get him out of the game that way. Um, but to get back to your point, yeah, the, the the kid's amazing. And that's where this Gonzaga program is really, you know, taking the next, you know, kind of the next level. That They used to be a team that had, you know, kind of fringy NBA prospects, Oddballs like Olenek, even Olenek was, you know, I think he was redshirt his first year. He wasn't necessarily expected to be a solid NBA player, but, um, you know, they got some some surprise guys like that. But now they're getting, like, they're recruiting the best players in the country. Um, and that appears to be continuing into next season. So they've really kind of graduated from being this, like, mid-major that's getting players that nobody else wants and kind of finding diamonds in the rust to, to now a situation where they can go uh, against the best schools in the country and, and really get the players they want to build a, a super team like they have this year. I sort of see Suggs, and this is outrageous, but that's what I'm known for as a, a taller, a taller Chris Paul. Yes, yes, a much taller Chris Paul. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree. That's not outrageous, DK. You're gonna have to do better with oh, outrageous takes. Dang. Okay, uh, <laughs> better than magic. <laughs> <laughs> Did I up the game there? (laughs) You told me to be more outrageous. That's the best I got for you. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's pretty good. My only rule about player comparisons is never compare anyone to Draymond Green. So uh, as long as we stay away from that, I can work with you. But uh, yeah, he's probably not better than Magic. But uh, but he's just he has a a lot of fun to watch. And well, you're the one who said he's a magician with the ball, not me. So you you brought up the Magic. That's true. I need a I need a different term, but uh, I refer to the Magic Man, a wizard with a basketball. Yeah. So you put that in my mind. So I'm blaming you. And so, what's the deal with uh, CBS and TBS? They're just ripping you off. <laughs> yeah. What is the deal with them? I mean, it is kind of it's kind of weird. You know, they are basically. I mean. You know, my buddy Seth Davis gave me some gave me some shout outs uh, last week. But during the broadcast, like they're broadcasters, I mean, I don't know what their game prep looks like, but whoever like feeds them stats, uh, it really doesn't tell them that they're getting a lot of their stats from me. And so they'll just you know they'll mention these like kind of very very specific numbers that you I'm pretty sure you can only get from like one location on the internet. And they'll build entire narratives or their games around this. You know, you're watching like North Texas and Purdue and it's like, hey, they do this well and that well and blah, blah, blah. And they're ranked 38th in the country of this. And uh, <laughs> and then they just have a question where they get that wrong, which I think is like, a, you know, would be a nice courtesy since their entire like broadcast is really dependent on that number. So I've known Katz for about 25 years. Is he one of them? Because I can jump on him. <laughs> If uh, if if he's ripping you off, you let me know, and I'll get in touch with him. No, Cass is Cass is a good dude. I uh, it's mostly like I said, mostly the the in the game, you know, the announcers. Oh, okay, gotcha. Studio. It's not studio, studio stuff. No, the studio guys do a pretty good job. Uh, okay, but it's, yeah, it's like you know, I don't want to call out anybody specifically because again, I don't necessarily think it's their fault per se. It's you know, 
the producer or whatever is feeding them numbers without sources and they just read it verbatim or whatever. But it's just funny yeah. watching these games sometimes. And like the entire, <laughs> the entire narrative of the game is like based on a stat that, uh, again, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure they're only get it, can get it from one place. So. And that whatever. would be KenPom.com? That would be yeah, I mean, Ken com. I mean, you know, you know, CBS Turner paid like a, you know, a billion dollars for their package, and they're spending twenty bucks a year to like get the background info for their games. Like, come on, just give me, you know, give me a little bit here. I'm with you, man. I appreciate exactly what you're saying. Credit the uh, the guy who's doing the work deserves it. I just always thought that it was so ironic that you've built this empire and your last name Pomeroy. And palm rhymes with calm. I mean, you were like put on this earth to do the very thing that you're doing. I mean, if it would have been Smith, it would KenSmith.com doesn't really roll off the tongue the way KenPalm.com does. It's amazing. Yeah, I, uh, thank you. Um, definitely fortuitous. I mean, uh, I always tell people I bought the you know I bought the domain name before I knew you know what was going to happen in my life. So, you know, it was just like, KenPom.com, that sounds pretty cool. And I'm not thinking that, like, it would ever, anybody else would ever care about it. I thought I was just going to be, like, you know, <laughs> writing a diary or something that my parents could check out or something like that. <laughs> but yet, no, all college basketball Cub people, I told you that story of Dave Rose telling me he's complaining about the parental influence one time. And he said, yeah, I swear as we walk off the court at halftime, they look up in the stands and their dad's giving them the uh, the player his KenPalm.com rating, <laughs> so they know it as they as they know it as they go into halftime. <laughs> and and that was before that was that was probably six seven years ago. Now, my goodness gracious, with all the transfers, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Now we're into the thousands of kids on the move. Uh, on all that stuff, and so it's just gone gone berserko. Dave, when he told me that, I don't think he had any idea where it was going to be and where it is now. Right, and certainly the you know the free year that every player is getting is contributing to uh, the mass amount of player movement that that we're seeing this year. But uh, yeah, I, I wonder what Dave's uh, opinion of name, in, image, and likeness was probably. Maybe not favorable either, huh? Uh, I was probably glad that he got out of it. Before we let you go, you got any insight in who might succeed Ray uh, Roy Williams? I don't have any insight. It's, uh, um, yeah, it sounds like they're going to conduct a national search, which is a good idea. Like, you know, the temptation is, hey, we're just going to pick a Carolina guy. That seems to be what the, you expect from the big schools. But uh, that's actually pretty difficult in this case. Uh, Hubert Davis. Uh, is their, I think, most likely, most qualified assistant uh, to get it if you wanted a, a Carolina guy. Um, you know, Jerry Stackhouse is out there. I was coaching at Vanderbilt. They did not have a particularly good year, so uh, it would seem to be a, a pretty difficult sell to bring him in. So, you know, it seems like they might have to go outside the program, which is uh, um, hard to do and obviously not something they've done you know, for a long time, uh, obviously Roy Williams is a Carolina guy. So, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do and how willing they are to kind of stray from, uh, from the Carolina system. Um, but, uh, I think that's the story story there. It's obviously a very desirable job. And, uh, I think, you know, it's just a different kind of job from like Kentucky where the fans are, um, very, very impatient. 
not that the fans are patient at North Carolina. Matt Doherty can, can tell you some stories about that, but uh, um, but uh, they're, they're a little more a little more patient there. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, obviously, the, the biggest job by far on the market this year. Yeah. All right, Ken, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. All right, PK. Enjoy the rest of your breakfast. Okay, thanks. And before we go, when I'm talking about Suggs being the best player, it's Mark Few era, obviously, John Stockton. I don't even know who was the coach back when Stockton was playing way back when. I'm talking about Mark Few, and he's been there 22 years, I think it is, maybe 23. Interestingly, they've made the tournament every single year that Mark Few has been in there. Absolutely amazing, the consistency of this program. I would love to see them win it all for sure. But we're talking about, when I said that, I'm talking about the Mark Few two-decade-plus all right, we got the Bulls uh, play-by-play guy, Adam Amin, coming up at the top of the hour. We'll talk to him about the Chicago Bulls. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Number one. Because your number one preset. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Happy Good Friday to you. I mean that literally. How many times can you say Happy Good Friday and mean it Uh, literally, Yach? Once a year? Once a year and today is the day. The day that Marvin Gaye was born. How about that? Marvin Gaye, born in 1939. And what was it? He was shot by his father? Was that the story? Yeah. Actually, I think yesterday was the anniversary of that unfortunate incident. One day shy of his birthday, huh? Known as that uh, great all-star, was it the all-star game? He sang the national anthem. Is that what was the NBA Finals? Was it, I, I want to say it was all-star game. Uh, back at the, uh, was it Staples Center or the Forum? It was in oh, Southern California. I know that. I don't remember exactly which venue. He's got the uh, Heard It Through the Grapevine. What a smooth voice. Best R&B singer of all time? I gotta say yes. Maybe Al Green. Tie? Is it tie between Al Green and Marvin Gaye? Both legends. Yeah, big time, man. It don't get better, no better than this, huh? So happy birthday to Marvin Gaye. Left us way too soon, but gave us tremendous music. While he was on the face of the earth, one of the legends, absolute legends for sure, on this Good Friday. You abstaining from meat today? Not I. (laughs) You're not of that faith. Well, let's put it this way. I'm currently on a, I pretty much can have protein and vegetables, so I will not be abstaining from meat. Oh, you're you're trying to drop a few? Is that the point? Uh, Yeah, currently, yeah. How's it going? Pretty good so far. About three weeks in, and we're already over 10 pounds, so that's good news. Oh, nice. 
Do you have a target goal? Yes. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I do have a target goal, but it's more of a kind of a long range thing. Like we'll oh, months down it. the road. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's a tough thing to do. You got to stay with it. And if you slip, you got to get back on it. Uh, my wife was telling me now, if some people need to do it and they need to stick with it and they need to make a commitment, others, uh, I, I sort of have a commitment in and out, not of in, eating at in and out. That's not what I mean. I have a commitment. You and your uh, double-double have it over here. <laughs> I mean, so I go hard sometimes, and then I loosen sometimes. So I'd probably want to drop about seven or eight if I could. Uh, and so she has a theory that you have to 80-20. So you stay on a regimen of clean eating 80% of the time, and then you let loose 20% of the time. So uh, the problem with 20 is that it becomes 25, 30, 35. You get the point. Starts right. to go the other way. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. But I try to exercise every day, at least that. It's tougher as you get older, that's for sure. All right, coming up next, we're going to speak to Adam Amin. He does the play-by-play on the television for the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls are in town going to play the Jazz tonight. Stay with us. We'll get to that next on 97.5, 1280 The Zone.